Hi guys, welcome to Talking in Bed. My name is Jen, and today we're going to be talking about whether the Republican and Democratic parties switched platforms. So, I have often, I mean, it is common knowledge, of, I think, that... Um, Abraham Lincoln, one of the most well-respected and beloved presidents, uh, he was a Republican, and he obviously is he freed the slaves by <laughs> writing the Emancipation, signing the Emancipation Proclamation. <laughs> Already out the gate, it's not going well. Uh, for me, for me not for well it didn't go well for abraham right <laughs> poor abraham um and whatever like nowadays because of um there's just this sense that like democrats are the people who are like they're the ones who would free slaves now and the Republicans are the people who would fight against having, uh, you know, freeing the slaves. We have this, like, concept that it seems weird that the Republicans freed the slaves. And when you learn about the Civil War, it wasn't, of course, just about slavery. It didn't really start out about slavery, it started out about um, states' rights and whether each state could um, make their own decisions about having slaves or not. And um, we're not going to get into a whole Civil War thing. But, um, yeah, I mean, it does seem funny because generally... Republicans these days prefer smaller government. Um, they don't want kind of big government. They don't want federal things. That's the healthcare issue is complicated in America. I think that's at least part of it is that we they don't want um, the government to have that much power, and they prefer if things are kept to each state and frankly i mean each state in america is really big outside of you know a couple of the new england states are a bit smaller but once you head out you know once you start to head west the states get you know wildly huge comparatively um so anyway just kind of thinking about the uh you know scant details that I know about the Democratic Party and the Republican Party. Uh, oh, well, additionally, I've also heard that the people who started the Ku Klux Klan were Democrats. So that really kind of flies in the face of uh, <laughs> what we think of as Democrats today and Republicans today. And I, I think the KKK started in the 20th century. I want to say it started sometime in the 1920s. 
So that was, you know, long after the Civil War. So we still had this kind of, um, the platforms were still kind of confused, I guess. Or, you know, we're not uh, where they would eventually land. So what I wanted to do was go through a little bit of the history of each party. And um, see if we can't kind of figure out if the platforms switched, when did that happen? Um, so let's start with, and, and I'm going to try and stay as neutral as I possibly can, you know, for what it's worth, for better or for worse, uh, you know, there are, I know it's a very like, obviously it's very tense these days, but anyway. Uh, we are working from the Wikipedia of Democratic Party United States. The Democratic Party is one of the two major contemporary political parties in the United States, along with its main historical rival, the Republican Party. Tracing its heritage back to Thomas Jefferson and James Madison's Democratic Republican Party. How confusing. The modern-day Democratic Party was founded around 1828 by supporters of Andrew Jackson, making it the world's oldest active political party. I find that so interesting because we don't even think about Democratic and Republican as, like, I mean, we use the word party, but we don't think of, I at least I don't, I just think of it as sort of this, um, <laughs> like that it's always been around. Do you know what I mean? Like nobody created it. It's just this is the natural order of the world is Democratic and Republican. So it's so interesting to think about the initiation of that. Now, what is really interesting and kind of leads into what we're talking about is that it was uh, founded by supporters of Andrew Jackson. He is known as being the man who orchestrated the Trail of Tears, which is just one of the most significant, you know, atrocities against a, a an indigenous population. So I find that interesting. And I wonder how that'll play in uh, further. So... Before 1860, the party supported limited government and state sovereignty while opposing a national bank and high tariffs. So that's very interesting. I feel that we've sort of already answered the question, did they switch platforms? Because, I mean, the party supported limited limited government and state sovereignty right there, so they didn't want big government. In the late 19th century, it continued to oppose high tariffs and had bitter internal debates on the gold standard. In the 20th century, it supported progressive reforms and opposed imperialism. Since uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt and his New Deal coalition in the 1930s, the Democratic Party has promoted a social liberal platform. Okay, I mean, we basically have started to answer the question already. Uh, so it was because of FDR and the New Deal in the 1930s that the Democratic Party started to move toward what we associate it to be today. 
Well into the 20th century, the party had conservative pro-business and southern conservative populist wings. Following the New Deal, however, the conservative wing of the party largely withered outside the South. The New Deal Coalition of 1932 to 1964 attracted strong support from voters of recent European extraction, many of whom were Catholics based in the cities. After the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Voting uh, Rights Act of 1965, the core bases of the two parties shifted, with the southern states becoming more reliably Republican in presidential politics and the northeastern states becoming more reliably Democratic. The once powerful labor union element became smaller after the 1970s, although the working class remains an important component of the Democratic base. That's because a lot of uh, factories in the U.S. shut down in the 70s. A lot. And I mean, whole towns in, I mean, at least in New England, that's my, you know, most significant experience. There are entire towns that uh, never recovered. You know, literally everybody in the town worked for the factory. The factory shut down. And those towns still struggle with poverty to this day. Um, people living in urban areas, women, college graduates, and millennials, as well as sexual, religious, and racial minorities, also tend to support the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party's philosophy of modern lis- liberalism blends notions of civil, civil liberty and social equality with support for a mixed economy. In Congress, the party is a big tent coalition with influential centrist, progressive, and conservative wings. Corporate governance reform, environmental protection, oh my gosh, protection, support for organized labor, expansion of social programs, affordable college tuition, yada, 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 you know the platforms. (laughs) I don't have to go through all of that. Um, <clears throat> let's jump down to history, okay? Democratic Party officials often trace its origins to the inspiration of the Democratic Republican Party, founded by Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, and other influential opponents of the Federalists in 1792. That party also inspired the Whigs and modern Republicans. Organizationally, the modern Democratic Party truly arose in the 1830s with the election of Andrew Jackson. Since the nomination of William Jennings Bryan in 1896, the party has generally positioned itself to the left of the Republican Party on economic issues. Democrats have been more liberal on civil rights since 1948, although conservative factions which opposed them persisted in the South until the 1960s. On foreign policy, both parties have changed position several times. I see that this page gets a little bit redundant. Um, A lot of repetition about Jefferson Madison, the Federalist, Democratic Republican. Um... Now, of course, there's a lot of terms being thrown around in here that we could, like, deep dive on all of these terms. You know, we could talk about the New Deal. Uh, We could talk about what is republicanism versus democratism. Um, 
you know, we're really just trying to answer the one, the one question. Um, so let's go down to the, uh, the 19th century. The Democratic Republican Party split over the choice of a successor to President James Monroe. The faction that supported many of the old Jeffersonian principles led by Andrew Jackson and Martin Van Buren became the modern Democratic Party. Uh, as Norton explains the transformation in 1828, I have no idea who Norton is. He was, must have been mentioned earlier. Jacksonians believed the people's will had finally prevailed through a lavishly financed coalition of state parties, political leaders, and newspaper editors, a popular movement had elected the president. This all sounds very familiar, does it not? The Democrats became the nation's first well-organized national party, and tight party organization became the hallmark of 19th century American politics, which makes sense because America, for those who don't know, was founded, or whatever, became an independent nation in 1776. So really less than a hundred years after it became an independent nation, you know, it is understandable that it was still kind of figuring out who it was politically. And frankly, we're having an identity crisis right now. <laughs> So, you know, whatever, like we're on the cusp of, uh, I don't know that we're in the, on the cusp, we're in the middle of kind of a, it's obviously a very turbulent period for the United States politically. Behind the platforms issued by state and national parties stood a widely shared political outlook that characterized the Democrats. The Democrats, this is another quote I assume from Norton. The Democrats represented a wide range of views, but shared a fundamental commitment to the Jeffersonian concept of an agrarian society. They viewed the central government as the enemy of individual liberty. So funny. That's a real switch. The 1824 corrupt bargain, quote unquote, had strengthened their suspicion of Washington politics. Jacksonians feared the concentration of economic and political power. They believed that government intervention in the economy benefited special interest groups and created corporate monopolies that favored the rich. They sought to restore the independence of the individual, the artisan, and the ordinary farmer by ending federal support of banks and corporations and restricting the use of paper currency, which they distrusted well. There are just so many points coming through that it's like, damn, like you really have to read this stuff to know that this is like it's all happened before. <laughs> wow, it's really crazy to read that. Their definition of the proper role of government tended to be negative, and Jackson's political power was largely expressed in negative acts. He exercised the veto more than all previous presidents combined. Jackson and his supporters also opposed reform as a movement. Reformers, eager to turn their programs into legislation, called for a more active government. But Democrats tended to oppose programs like educational reform, um, I think we're missing a word there. 
mid the establishment of a public education system. Wow. They believed, for instance, that public schools restricted individual liberty by interfering, wow, with parental responsibility and undermined freedom of religion by replacing church schools. Man, oh man. Nor did Jackson share reformers' humanitarian concerns. He had no sympathy for American Indians, initiating the removal of the Cherokees along the Trail of Tears. Yes, God. Opposing factions. I'm curious if we're just going to get into a... Let me... me... (laughs) I'll be back in a second. I thought maybe we were going to get out into the weeds with a lot of different people and vocabulary. I do think that this is pertinent, though, because although we've essentially answered the question already, I do, for me personally, this is very enlightening. <laughs> um, so we're continuing right on. Opposing factions led by Henry Clay helped form the Whig Party. The Democratic Party had a small yet decisive advantage over the Whigs until the 1850s, when the Whigs fell apart over the issue of slavery. In 1854, angry with the Kansas-Nebraska Act, anti-slavery Democrats left the party and joined Northern Whigs to form the Republican Party. Interesting. The Democrats split over the choice of his successor to President James Buchanan along northern and southern lines as factions of the party provided two separate candidacies for president in the election of 1860 in which the Republican Party gained ascendancy. The radical pro-slavery fire eaters, that's a really psychotic platform and name, led a walkout both at the April Democratic Convention in Charleston's Institute Hall, at the June Convention in Baltimore, when the National Party would not adopt a resolution supporting the extension of slavery into territories, even if the voters of these territories did not want it. These Southern Democrats nominated the pro-slavery incumbent Vice President John C. Breckinridge of Kentucky for president, And we've got a couple other names that we don't need to go through for different positions. And we're skipping ahead. (laughs) This fracturing of the Democrats led to a Republican uh, victory, and Abraham Lincoln was elected the 16th president of the United States. As the American Civil War broke out, Northern Democrats were divided into War Democrats and Peace Democrats, The Confederate States of America, whose political leadership, mindful of the welter prevalent, I don't know what that means, in antebellum American politics and with a pressing need for unity, largely viewed political parties as inimical inimical to good governance and consequently the Confederacy had none or at least none with the wide organization in the inherent to other American parties. Most war Democrats rallied to Republican President Abraham Lincoln and the Republicans' National Union Party in the election of 1864, which featured Andrew Johnson on the Republican ticket, even though he was a Democrat from the South. 
Um, <clears throat> let's skip ahead a little bit. I feel like we're getting a little bit dragged down by all this. Whew. It's a little heavy. Good. Uh, the Democrats, now we're in the 20th century. The Democrats took control of the House in 1910, and Woodrow Wilson won election as president in 1912 when the Republicans split, and 1916. Wilson effectively led Congress to put to rest the issues of tariffs, money, and antitrust, which had dominated politics for 40 years with new progressive laws. He failed to secure Senate passage of the Versailles Treaty, ending the war with Germany and joining the League of Nations. The weak party was deeply divided by issues such as the KKK and Prohibition in the 1920s. However, it did organize new ethnic voters in northern cities. Ooh, okay. So we have just kind of... Um, before that, there's no mention of the KKK. Uh... So, we would have to get into the history of the KKK. I don't, you know. The Great Depression in 1929 that began under Republican President Herbert Hoover and the Republican Congress set the stage for a more liberal government. As the Democrats controlled the House of Representatives nearly uninterrupted, wow, from 1930 until 1994, the Senate for 44 of 48 years from 1930, wow, and won most presidential elections until 1968. FDR, elected to the presidency in 1932, came forth with federal government programs called the New Deal, New Deal liberalism meant the regulations of business, including finance and banking, and the promotion of labor unions, as well as federal spending to aid the unemployed, help distressed farmers, and undertake large-scale public works projects. It marked the start of the American welfare state. The opponents, who stressed opposition to unions, support for business, and low taxes, started calling themselves conservatives. And that's where we're going to cut that off. Because right after that, it leads up to, like, uh, much more present day. So I feel like that's a, a good kind of overview of the Democratic Party. I know it's very, you know, we're really kind of skimming through that. Um, and what I'd like to do is move on to the uh, Republican Party. And get into their history a little bit and see, you know, what were they like totally into progressivism and, you know, I want to see what their kind of background was back in the old days when they, before the, you know, quote unquote platform switch happened. Okay. I took a little break, a hell sip of water. I tell you, reading this <laughs> really makes my mouth very dry. Um, maybe that's because the material is dry. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, the Republican Party, also referred to as the GOP, Grand Old Party, is one of the two major contemporary political parties in the United States. Uh, what I have here is founded March 20th, 1854, which we just heard about. 
It was preceded by the Whig Party, the Free Soil Party, the Liberty Party, the Anti-Nebraska Party, the North American Party. I love the Anti-Nebraska Party. Okay. The GOP was founded in 1854 by opponents of the Kansas-Nebraska Act, which allowed for the potential expansion of slavery into the Western territories. The party supported classical liberalism. They have a link for that, and I'm tempted to click it because I don't really know what that means. Let me finish the sentence. They opposed the expansion of slavery and supported economic reform. Okay. I'm going to click the link. I I want a very brief what is this? Classical liberalism is a political ideology uh, and a branch of liberalism that advocates civil liberties under the rule of law with an emphasis on economic freedom. Closely related to economic li- liberalism, it developed in the early 19th century, building on ideas from the previous century as a response. Okay, that doesn't help me with the definition. Core beliefs of classical liberals included new ideas which departed from, oh my god, what the fuck? I want a fucking list of the core freaking beliefs. Oh god. Um, which departed... It included new ideas which departed from both the older conservative idea of society as a family and from the later sociological concept of society as a complex set of social networks. Classical liberals believe that individuals are egoistic, coldly calculating, essentially inert and atomistic, and that society is no more than the sum of its individual members. All right, this is not going to help me at all. I I have to go back. (laughs) I'm sorry. I encourage you to do research on classical liberalism. Um, Okay, Abraham Lincoln was the first Republican president. I actually didn't know that. So that is interesting. Under the leadership of Lincoln and a Republican Congress, slavery was banned in the United States in 1865. I believe in January, so I think it was very early into 1865. The party was generally dominant during the third party system and the fourth party system. Gosh, I'd love to see some of that come back instead of all the other bullshit that we have going on now. After 1912, the party underwent a social ideological shift to the right. Okay, so it was... In the 30s under FDR for the Democrats, and it was in 1912 for the Republicans that this kind of ideological shift occurred. Following the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Voting Rights Act of 1965, the party's core base shifted, with southern states becoming more (laughs) reliable. We know that. They became more reliably. Blah, blah, blah. (laughs) History. Now, what's funny is that this history is going to be a little tad shorter than uh, the Democrats. Um, The the Republican Party emerged from the great political realignment of the mid-1850s. 
Uh, the great realignment of the 1850s began before the Whig Party collapsed and was caused not by politicians but by voters at the local level. The central forces were ethno-cultural, involving tensions between pietistic Protestants versus liturgical Catholics, Lutherans, and Episcopalians regarding Catholicism, Prohibition, and Nativism. Anti-slavery did play a role, but it was less important at first. The Know-Nothing Party. God, I want some fun named parties again, okay? Know-Nothing. Anti-Nebraska. <laughs> I want... You know what I want again? I want fun political party names. Oh my gosh. The Know Nothing Party embodied the social forces at work, uh, but its weak leadership was unable to solidify its organization, and the Republicans picked it apart. Nativism was so powerful that the Republicans could not avoid it, but they did minimize it and turn voter wrath against the threat that slave owners would buy up the good farmlands wherever slavery was allowed. The realignment was a powerful... Hmm. Okay, little typo there. The realignment was powerful because it forced voters to switch parties, as typified by the rise and fall of the know-nothings, the rise of the Republican Party, and the split in the Democratic Party. The Republican Party was founded in the northern states in 1854 by forces opposed to the expansion of slavery, ex-Whigs, and ex-Free Soilers. The Republican Party quickly became the principal opposition to the dominant Democratic Party and the briefly popular Know-Nothing Party. The party grew out mm -hmm, out of opposition to the Kansas, so we're getting a little repetition, the Kansas-Nebraska Act repealed the Missouri Compromise and opened Kansas and Nebraska territories to slavery and future admission as slave states. Uh, the Republicans called for economic and social modernization. They denounced the expansion of slavery as a great evil, but did not call for it for ending it in the southern states. The first public meeting of the general anti-Nebraska movement, at which the name Republican was proposed, was held on March 20th, 1854, at the Little White Schoolhouse in Ripon, Wisconsin. Just so fitting, isn't it? (laughs) The name was partly chosen to pay homage to Thomas Jefferson's Republican Party. But it was a Democrat... It was Thomas Jefferson's Democratic Republican Party. Okay, whatever. Um, <clears throat> let's skirt ahead a little. Um, mm-hmm. I want to get to some of their... Well, the Republican Party first came to power in the elections of 1860 when it won control of both houses of Congress and its candidate, former Congressman Abraham Lincoln, was elected. Uh, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> the party's success created factionalism within the party in the 1870s. Um, skipping ahead, because we're going to get into history class with that real soon, and I'm really trying to keep this as not history class as possible. 
The Republican Party supported hard money, i.e. the gold standard, high tariffs to promote economic growth, high wages and high profits, generous pensions for union veterans, and, after 1893, the annexation of Hawaii. The Republicans had strong support from pietistic Protestants, but they resisted demands for prohibition. As the northern post-war economy boomed with heavy and light industry of railroads, mines, fast-growing cities, and prosperous agriculture, the Republicans took credit and promoted policies to sustain the fast growth. The GOP was usually dominant over the Democrats during the third-party system from the 1850s to the 1890s. However, by 1890, the Republicans had agreed to the Sherman Antitrust Act and the Interstate Commerce Commission in response to complaints from owners complaints from owners of small business and farmers. I saw the number 1812 come up, but I think we have to skip ahead there. Uh, great. We're in the 20th century. The 1896 alignments cemented the Republicans as the party of big business, while Theodore Roosevelt added more small business support by his embrace of trust busting. He handpicked his successor, William Howard Taft, in 1908, but they became enemies as the party split down the middle. Taft defeated Roosevelt for the 1912 nomination, and Roosevelt ran on the ticket of his new progressive Bull Moose Party. He called for social reforms, many of which were later championed by New Deal Democrats in the 1930s. He lost, and when most of his supporters returned to the GOP, they found they did not agree with the new conservative economic thinking, leading to an ideological shift to the right in the Republican Party, the Republicans returned to the White House throughout the 1920s, running on platforms of normalcy, normalcy, business-oriented efficiency, and high tariffs. The National Party platform avoided mention of prohibition, instead issuing a vague commitment to law and order. I am struggling a little bit with this particular uh, wiki page for the Republican Party, I don't feel like I'm getting as much um, detailed. I feel like I'm missing a lot of meat here when it comes to understanding what it is that they used to believe and what it you know, in the one about the Democrats, they talked about what did they used to believe and what do they believe now and who tends to vote that way. I feel like we're missing all of that kind of characterization for the Republican one. So I don't have as, as strong of a feeling of, um, I don't know, I, I'm, I do feel that the Democratic, uh, the Democrat wiki page answered the question, did they, I don't know if they switched platforms so much as um, there were changes that occurred. Obviously, the Democratic Party really shifted a lot 
they're saying that they they keep saying that the Republican Party shifted to the right, but I'm not seeing where that is coming in, and I'm not I'm not seeing really a strong statement on where did we come from and where did we move to. Now, it's not like I don't know where the Republican Party is right now, but I'm looking for, you know, a much more kind of spelled out what was the shift all about. Now, it did mention 1896, so I just want to hop back into this really quickly and see. This is the part that I kind of skipped over because I thought it was going to be a little bit dry, but I do feel like our answer lies within this part that I skipped over. Um, so I'm picking up from, uh, however, by 1890, the Republicans had agreed to the Sherman Antitrust Act and the Interstate Commerce Commission in response to complaints from owners of small businesses and farmers. The high McKinley tariff of 1890 hurt the party, and the Democrats swept to a landslide in the off-year elections, even defeating McKinley himself. The Democrats erected... Oh my God. <laughs> they elected... Uh, Grover Cleveland in 1884 and 1892. The election of William McKinley in 1896 was marked by a resurgence of Republican dominance that lasted, except for 1912 and 1916, until 1932. McKinley promised that high tariffs would end the severe hardship caused by the Panic of 1893, and that Republicans would guarantee a sort of pluralism in which all groups would benefit. I don't really feel like that gave me a lot of insight. So I'm... Hmm. You know, I'm not really interested in getting into, like, the whole, like, history of the... All right, here, uh, economic, economic policy, political positions, I'm sorry. So further below uh, the history bit, which is pretty long, and I just want to minimize that. Economic policies. Republicans believe that free, well, I know what they believed, uh, what they do believe now. Well, um... Look, guys, I don't know that we're going to get that much out of that one. Now, what I did do is look up an article on LiveScience.com. It looks like it's a pretty reputable website. It doesn't look like it's total bullshit. Um, and I found an article that says, Why did the Democratic and Republican Party switch platforms? By Natalie Wolkover. So uh, let's just see what Nat has to say. The Republican and Democratic parties of the United States didn't always stand for what they do today. During the 1860s, Republicans who dominated northern states orchestrated an ambitious expansion of federal power, helping to fund the transcontinental railroad, the state university system, and the settlement of the West by homesteaders, and instating a national currency and protective tariff. Democrats who dominated the South opposed those measures. After the Civil War, 
Republicans passed laws that granted protection for black Americans and advanced social justice. And again, Democrats largely opposed these apparent expansions of federal power. Sound like an alternate universe? Fast forward to 1936. Democratic President FDR won re-election that year on the strength of the New Deal, a set of depression remedying reforms, including regulation of financial institutions, the founding of welfare and pension programs, infrastructure development, and more. Roosevelt won in a landslide against Republican Alf Landon, who opposed these exercises of federal power. So sometime between the 1860s and 1936, the Democratic Party of small government became the party of big government, and the Republican Party of big government became rhetorically committed to curbing federal power. How did this switch happen? Eric Routhway, 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 a professor of American history at the University of California, Davis, I don't know what that means, pins the transition to the turn of the 20th century when a highly influential Democrat named uh, William Jennings Bryan blurred party lines by emphasizing the government's role in ensuring social justice through expansions of federal power, traditionally a Republican stance. But Republicans didn't immediately adopt the opposition, uh, the opposite position of favoring limited government. Instead, for a couple of decades, both parties are promising an augmented federal government devoted in various ways to the cause of social justice. Uh, that's a quote from Rauchway. Rauchway. Only gradually did Republican rhetoric shift to the counter-arguments. The party's small government platform cemented in the 1930s with its heated opposition to the New Deal. But why did Bryan and other turn-of-the-century Democrats start advocating for big government? According to Rauchway, they, like Republicans, were trying to win the West. The admission of new Western states to the Union in the post-Civil War era created a new voting bloc, and both parties were vying for its attention. Democrats seized upon a way of ingratiating themselves to Western voters. Republicans, uh, Republican federal expansions in the 1860s and 1870s had turned out favorable to big businesses based in the Northeast, such as banks, railroads, and manufacturers, while small-time farmers like those who had gone west received very little. Both parties tried to exploit the discontent this generated by promising the little guy some of the federal help that had previously gone to the business sector. From this point on, Democrats stuck with this stance, favoring federally funded social programs and benefits, while Republicans were gradually driven to the counter-position of hands-off government. From a business perspective, Rochway pointed out the loyalties of the parties did not really switch. Although the rhetoric and, to a degree, the policies of the party do switch places, their core supporters don't. Which is to say, the Republicans remain throughout the party, through uh, sorry, to which is to say, the Republicans remain throughout the party of bigger businesses. It's just that in the early era, bigger businesses want bigger government, and in the later era, they don't. In other words, earlier on, businesses needed things that only a bigger government could provide, such as infrastructure, development, a currency, and tariffs. Once these things were in place, a small, hands-off government became better for business. I, in my eyes, that's a pretty uh, straightforward and not... Uh, I don't feel like that writer was necessarily picking a side. Um... 
so I feel like what we're coming away is with is, yeah, they kind of switched platforms. It, it's more just the like this writer said, Natalie Walkover. The the you know the core things are the same. It just developed in different ways and, and it sort of seemingly switched sides. I don't, you know, that's not really a definitive answer. Um, and I am tempted to look up, did Democrats start the KKK? But I feel like that takes us into a whole different direction. Um, so we're coming away with sort of a, a half answer. We don't have a, a hard yes or no. Um, it's sort of a, a, a mixed thing. There was some switching, but some of it was just the typical development of um, what was still like not a new country, but certainly newer than many other countries. It was still kind of finding its, its footing in a way. So, um, <clears throat> you know, we did our best to answer it. This, this <laughs> didn't feel as clear cut as some of the other questions that we've attempted to answer, but, um, we made an attempt at it with minimal research. <laughs> uh, I hope that you liked this anyway, and, um, who knows what the next question is going to be. If you have a question, you know, just some little weird thing that you heard years ago and you're curious about it, uh, you can write to me. My email will be in the description. Write me your question. I would be happy to hear what's that little thing in your head that you've always wondered about. Uh, thank you and talk to you soon.